Hi everybody. Today on the Performance Prescription Lab podcast, Jess and I are super excited to have our first guest, friend and colleague Mikko Lemetila, an anti-doping expert from Finland. Welcome Mikko. Our listeners Thank will you, get to know you shortly. Today with Mikko's expertise and vast experience, we will not just be exploring definitions or statistics about anti-doping, but we are unraveling real stories behind them, hearing from an expert and advocate who is pushing to protect clean sports. We will be exploring anti-doping strategies for elite professional sports versus recreational sports. We will understand the motives behind why people use doping substances, Mikko will explain the Finnish model in doping prevention as a good practice. We will be sharing practical ways for athletes and healthcare professionals to fight doping. And finally, we will talk about the future outlook in the anti-doping scene. I'm going to hand over to my co-host, Jess. Hello, Miko. We're so happy to have you. And um, I just want to add like a super quick note that I thought was really exciting and that we are three um, professionals experienced in the field of anti-doping and clean sport, and but we're hailing from all different corners of the globe. So we can give a true global perspective. And um, we're joining forces on this podcast to kind of spread the word about anti-doping. Um, and so I want to say it's kind of like the United Nations of anti-doping coming together to unravel the complexities of substance use in recreational sport. We've got perspectives from Turkey and Cyprus, Finland, and the United States. So we're truly bringing a global lens to this dynamic conversation today. So prepare for a riveting exchange of insights, experiences, and strategies as we embark on this international journey through anti-doping and clean sport world in the recreational athletes. This is the Performance Prescription Lab podcast, and we welcome Miko. So Miko, I think to let's start this off with, can you give us a little background about yourself, like what you do and kind of who you are, where you're from? Absolutely, Jason. <laughs> and, and thanks for inviting me for your podcast. I'm really honored about that. Uh, about me, I'm a specialist in anti-doping in recreational sports. I work in an organization called Aclinic Foundation and more specifically in a project called Dopilinki and the Clean Exercise Commitment. Uh, outside of that, I'm also a master's student in pharmaceutical research, development and safety. And as a side job, I'm also an outdoor cross-training coach and an enthusiastic rock climber. So many roles I'd like to Many, explore. many roles. Yes. <laughs> you, get, you can bring a lot of perspective to working with athletes or talking to athletes. And I love that. Um, I know when I heard your story of how you got into the field of drug and sport, um, I found it really fascinating of your background. Can you give us a little more insight into kind of your your journey into the field of drugs and sport? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best thing is to just you know, summarize my uh, recent 10 years or more. So it's certainly been interesting and I've been kind of lost here and there, grasping anti-doping information also from here and there. But a short summary... Uh, at high school, I was certain that I would pursue a degree in psychology. Eventually, I didn't because I would, like every other, every Finnish man, they go to the army and the army kind of mixed my uh, thoughts up, but maybe in a positive manner, I think. So I got interested in sports and exercise back then and wanted to combine it with uh, helping people. So I applied for physical therapy and eventually graduated from there. 
But uh, then I wanted, you know, more opportunities to progress in my career. So I started studying natural sciences more. So I kind of read like the basics of natural sciences, biology, physics, chemistry, because I didn't do that in high school. And after that, I applied for pharmacy studies. And the fun thing is that it eventually I did the bachelor's thesis in anti-doping counseling in pharmacies. And it so, eventually led to two scientific publications. But then I shifted to Master of Sports and Exercise Medicine and then back to Master of Pharmacy Studies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been an interesting uh, journey. I do feel like you kind of actually dig it back to your your high school dream of doing psychology in a way, um, because as we know, and we'll dive into in the episode, anti-doping does have a lot of underlying psychology and why are people choosing this? So maybe you really actually made your dream came true as a kid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. In a roundabout way. <laughs> um, I thought about the same thing. <laughs> it's always neat to look back and you're like, all these experiences molded me, but I kind of still ended up the same way, just not what I dreamed of. Yeah. Um. So can you share us a little bit about in this journey that you had, what ex inspired you to really focus on anti-doping and especially your little area that, well, not little, your big area of recreational athletes over per se, like professional, what, what got you into that? Yeah. I think you and the listeners would like some sort of, you know, really goal oriented <laughs> response, but I actually can't give it, give no. that to you. So <laughs> for me, it's, uh, it was by coincidence and luck, I guess. Okay. And because of my life events at this time, uh, I was working as a physical therapist with uh, geriatric patients and then also studying pharmacy at the same time. It eventually kind of got me burned out from th this combination. And I also had some problems in my social life and personal problems as well, like unhealthy relationship, not knowing how to take care of myself and, you know, set boundaries. Mm -hmm. All these kind of issues, I think many of us face. But uh yeah, during that year, I made some changes to my life and was applying for this new job I saw and was a clean exercise ambassador. So, and I got selected to that. And my job description was to promote clean exercise, the clean exercise commitment I'm currently working with and, you know, get the fitness industry to co cooperate and sign our anti-doping agreement. Very, very uh, interesting. I love the yeah. fact that your journey is not this like, particularly linear, you knew what you were doing, you did this. I think that resonates with so many people and so many people understand that feeling of like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, or I think I'm doing this. And like, and having, looking at, you know, maybe you don't live this perfect life. Like all of us struggle with something, whether that be, you know, too much exercise, not enough exercise, overeating, drinking, unhealthy relationships. So I think, and that all speaks into addiction as a bigger scene that we will t get into a little bit. So yes, um, if, I, if I can add yeah. to that, I think yeah. I had, had my fair share in, you know, performance pressures as well. And for, uh, for example, you know, ex exploring the roles of a man, a student worker, a friend or a, co a companion in a relationship. And I think these same performance pressures are also the one reason for doping use in recreational sports or related, you know, body image or appearance pressures or issues with everyone. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think that takes us into our topic on let's dive into the anti-doping part. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really impressed of 
how you um, put some empathy from your own uh, to your job because it happened as a journey when in every step it's a part of yourself you put made some connections with what you are doing and eventually it take you to this moment and I can mm-hmm. see that when, when you are able to Uh, have empathy towards what you are doing and with whom you are working with, then you also get satisfaction from what you do. But it's a journey and we are really excited to get to know you and follow your journey in the next years to come. I think these kind of connections we built uh, within our countries, uh, within our professions, uh, it always opens a new door and to new possibilities. So Let's follow uh, how your journey, my journey, Jess's journey will continue after this encounter. <laughs> Let's see one year later where we are. I'm I sure it's gonna to. it's gonna make some uh, uh, interesting uh, topic there. So um, we are going to speak about recreational uh, anti doping in recreational sports. Uh, but in the world, I think the general population have uh, always been witnessed uh, high-profile doping scandals up until now. Names like Lance Armstrong, the infamous bulk collapse um, and biogenesis case, along with the state-sponsored doping saga in Russia in Sochi Olympics, have been front and center in the global professional sports arena. I think most of the people have heard about this, but this is the professional context. Our, we are going to shift our focus uh, to a different area, anti-doping and recreational sports. That's where your expertise lies in. Uh, recreational athletes, these individuals are driven by the same passions, dreams, societal expectations, which you explained a while ago. Uh, com- as professionals, sometimes I also have athletes whom I work with. They are not professions, but they compete or they train as a professional. So they have a similar pressure on them. And sometimes they find themselves navigating in a complex landscape where the desire to excel meets the harsh realities of performance pressures. And then sometimes where uh, doping substances or methods come in. So Miko, uh, in our podcast, Uh, we usually love to start with a crash course. In every topic we cover, cool. we try to give a 101 class to our listeners. And today you're going to be our instructor of the anti-doping and recreational sports 101 class. So <laughs> welcome to our instructor. <laughs> a surprise <laughs> to you. So let's start with the basics for our listeners. Then we'll deep dive into the different topics and good practices from different com- countries. But can we start with describing the difference between uh, anti-doping strategies, difference between elite and professional sports versus recreational sports. How can, uh, w- what's the difference? Or yes, is it the same? <laughs> and this, and this, is, this 101 class is a huge responsibility. So thanks for that. <laughs> no, pressure. No, pressure. no pressure. No pressure. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's already a quite broad question itself in itself yeah. but I try to answer the best way I can and I think uh, the primary differences are in the competitive activities regulations and the given resources in uh, you know elite sports and uh, compared to recreational sports if we look at elite sports it's mainly based on the regulations of world anti-doping agency and world anti-doping code and this code also includes uh, Many standards like uh, international standards for education, doping testing and control, and related therapeutic use exemptions. 
And then these WADA standards are usually followed by international sports federations, NATOs, national sports federations, and COPs. Uh, and I think this is a significant resource for organized sports to, you know, conduct testing, implement education programs, uh, research, performance enhancements, substances, and, you know, include more substances on the prohibited list as well. And then, of course, these regulations also require athlete and maybe athlete support personnel to follow these rules as well. So they might be mandatory for uh, education. And so they receive anti-doping rules of sports, list of banned substances and methods, and then uh, receive education about the importance of fair play, like this value-based education. And then the, if the athlete doesn't obey by these rules, there are various sanctions he or she may face, like, well, including, of course, suspension, loss of medals or titles, and then damage to the reputation through media. Okay, let's go to recreational sports. Because uh, I think that's not that regulated, or yeah. at least it's not regulated by WADA. And it brings a lot of variation to anti-doping activities. Uh, for example, testing, recreational athletes are rarely tested or not mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, in Finland, they are not tested. And also about anti-doping education, I think it depends more on the school systems or healthcare mm -hmm. or then like professional choice of study track or uh, career choices and then of course your own interest and motivation to have anti-doping education and then it also varies that if NATO's national anti-doping agencies or other third sector uh, organization have any public health initiatives so they would focus you know anti-doping education to this public yeah. But the, so the point was that there's a lot of variation in the education, and yeah, also you can definitely see that. <laughs> yeah, and also I talked about the regulation and sanctions of athletes because it doesn't apply for recreational athletes. What sanctions apply for recreational athletes are, for example, the country's legislation. So if the doping substance use is uh, illegal, then he or she might uh, face uh, fines or jail time. Mm -hmm. Or then there would be some other community sanctions, such as if the gym has its own rules that you don't, you're not, you know, mm. allowed to use doping substance substances here. So then the gym might ban, for example, the exercises from the facilities. But then he could, it, you know, transfer to another gym. So is this common? Please. Is hmm? is this common in Finland to for a gym to have its own rules of anti-doping? Well, some of the chains have uh, anti-doping agreement really? in there. Interesting. This agreement. is very interesting. But, yeah, but but uh, I don't know. Not all of them, at least, don't mm -hmm. require. They don't ban the exerciser from the gym, mm -hmm. even if they. Because and what we try to do through the clean exercise commitment as well, that we try to have them encounter the doping substance user, but ra rather than banning, they would offer uh, help or support, support yeah. about the situation. There is a similar approach uh, in VADA for uh, athletes, professional athletes who are using substances of abuse, such as ecstasy, cocaine, etc. If this is detected, these are banned in competition. And if these are detected in an athlete's substance, uh, sorry, um, blood, or urine, 
uh, sample, uh, they get a fine uh, sanction. But if the athlete agrees to get uh, some sort of a rehabilitation, then the sanction decreases. So it's a similar approach, if I understood correctly. Yeah, in order to, very... it's to support. There is some yeah. sort of a regulation, but it's to support the athlete from uh, helping the person to avoid using such substances. Exactly. I think that's where we share a bit of common ground with mm-hmm. you know the organized sports because they also make statements about you know the substance of abuses and you know mm-hmm. decrease the penalty. I was going to say I feel like it's it's super helpful to like I mean all of us being athletes know that if you pull an athlete directly out of their sport, there's so much more going on with mental health with every you're losing so many benefits so if you can support the athlete through what they're going through and why they're using why they chose to use that banned substance you're probably going to have a much better outcome than if you just strip them of everything that they their identity what they've known what they've done and been like okay now you have to figure it out you've just added so many more layers of complexity to that healing process so i love that the both at least both areas support athletes in that in that way, instead of just ripping them completely out of sport. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Miko, from what you explained to me, I understand the main difference is regulation. So there is some sort of a volunteer approach to protecting uh, athletes, recreational athletes from substances, doping substances. So uh, I understand there is a good program in F- Finland, and we are going to get into that. But I wanted to understand... Uh, how common is the use of these substances? And mostly in recreational athletes, image and performance enhancing drugs, iPads, if I pronounce correctly, are very yes. commonly used. So how common is the use? And can we also define what is iPads for our audience so they understand the context a little bit more? Absolutely. I think it's important to define. Uh, if we talk about uh, image and performance enhancing drugs, I think we can consider a diverse group of substances that people use, mm. for example, to enhance physical appearance, performance, or social status, or maybe all of them. And well, I think these substances are usually associated with the non-competitive or competitive fitness and mm-hmm. bodybuilding. But I mm-hmm. want to address that they also are used in other populations as well to meet the needs of a society like body image mm. ideas or other mm. social performance pressures such as study or work related pressures. Mm-hmm. So this is a group of various drugs, supplements, hormones. Mm-hmm. You asked how common, uh, and this is also always a problem in the, you know, iPads research field to, you know, estimate the prevalence of the use. So it's due to the fact that regular exercises are not tested, so we don't receive any test testing data there are varying definitions on what is considered doping because we don't have that specific prohibited list that WADA has so what is actually considered doping and so maybe that's why there's no not also a, any standardized research method on estimating the prevalence but still there are some publications which uh, estimate the lifetime prevalence and for example anabolic steroid use in general population is estimated to be around one to five percent and if i in comparison i can tell you about the finnish uh, prevalence we get national data every four years from our national institute of health and welfare research on substance use in the public and the recent uh, publication was from last year 2020 
0.2. And from there, 1.3% of our 15 to 69 year old population reported that they tried doping substances at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. is in line with the, you know, the worldwide estimate. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Wow. And this group who mentioned that they have tried, why are they using uh, these substances? What are their motivation? Oh, <laughs> multiple motivations. <laughs> Big question. <laughs> yeah, Big question. Yeah. Speaking about psychology and mental health, I think this is very. It's very yeah. important to understand why, of course, body image, but then what's lying beneath it. How can we yeah, would, understand yeah. our athletes better? Yes. Well, if we compare it to elite sports, they usually the why they use doping is because of victory and the fame that comes because of it. And this is not the case in recreational sports because you're not competing in anything. So maybe the motives are more, you know, enhancing athletic performance for just performance reasons in, you know, in your everyday life. Uh, you know, you want to improve your physical appearance. Uh, you want faster recovery, maybe to meet some social pressures or expectations given by the society. Uh what else well all types of stuff i feel like there's (laughs) i mean i i know having worked with like younger athletes and recreational like you hear my friends did it (laughs) like you said societal pressures like i feel like the list can be super long as to why they choose to use and sometimes they may not know why i think it's peer pressure (laughs) yeah 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 there is this belief that everybody like the, there is this um, play, play, placed belief, uh, foundational belief that uh, everybody uses stopping. Why shouldn't I? Sometimes in professional sports, but in recreational sports as well. Like or sometimes even professional athletes use. Why shouldn't I use? I hear mm-hmm. this sometimes uh, from the athletes around me. I was gonna say, and I feel like recreational, like that can be a diverse level of I mean we have some pretty pretty elite recreational athletes around me like I mean you can have Mm -hmm. some pretty they're still competing in something maybe it's not drug tested but they're competing maybe against themselves but I have some pretty I would say pretty elite recreational athletes that train probably as hard as some professionals do so and um you mentioned for example we we know the answers to that but i just wanted to give a little bit in-depth insight to the listeners we spoke about for example anabolic steroids these are really commonly used in recreational athletes are there other substances how they are used what's the practice the purpose is really not to encourage anybody to use such substances (laughs) but it's to understand them yeah what 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 things are used and how yeah, to, to understand that it's a diverse group of, you know, different substances. So anabolic steroids, of course, are the most common ones that are used and testosterone in itself. Mm-hmm. But then we can maybe consider a human growth hormone is used, mm-hmm. erythropoietin by endurance athletes, stimulants for cognitive enhancement or tra- as train- training boosters, then diuretics for uh, weight loss, mm-hmm. uh, and different peptide hormones and growth factors, um, insulin, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there are also, because anabolic steroids are non-selective, uh, 
androgen receptor agonists. But we have mm -hmm. also these uh, substances called selective androgen receptor modulators called SARMs. SARMs. That's, SARMs. That's also yeah. that's sometimes a trend in you know the dopamine recreational sports scene that they are interested about these selective androgen receptor modulators. It becomes a trend because of the less side of estrogenic side effects, right? If yeah. I yes. know that yes. correctly. Because yes. they think it's, it will be it will only target the muscles. But what we find from research that what are marketed as SARMs are usually not SARMs. I think it's mm -hmm. pretty complicated to develop SARMs. Yeah. So none of the current SARMs are not, for example, not uh, used in medical, uh, any medical indication. Right. So have you seen, just out of curiosity, because I know I've seen it more, is people getting these? Are they buying them on the internet? I know there's a lot of like, especially like with the peptides and some of the growth hormones, you can buy them as like research products and have them shipped to your house and have no idea. I know I've never tried to like buy testosterone online, but I'm pretty sure you probably can. And some of the designer steroids and even the SARMs I've seen. And so are you seeing the people like selling them or are they buying them on the internet? Or do you have any insight into like, how are people getting these or access to them? Yes. Thank you for addressing the <laughs> online market already. Cause I online. think that's, that's a growing problem, yeah. but what we use in our education, uh, educational materials, we use this kind of national iPad info survey that's done in the UK. There's 677 uh, participants who, so doping substance users who have reported where do they get the iPads from. And in this uh, study, the, the most common was from friend. And then after that dealer, then internet, then okay. trainer, underground lab, then somebody bought abroad or even prescribed, prescribed by a doctor. Okay. But, but it, this is from 2016. So if I, we would go to this year, I think it has developed more towards online market and especially, you know, the dark web and Tor browser. Yeah. Um, this is where we all also are. We we follow the dark dark web. We we try to see what are the trends trends in the hormones there. So, for example, a couple of years ago, we had our anonymous health counseling uh, advertisement in one of the large drug sales sites before it got closed down by the police. And and this was a record year for our health counseling. For, for questions from users so we actually you know managed to you know spread the message of our health counseling service while we're, they were trying to buy these substances that's really interesting um so what can you kind of just a little bit more insight into our listeners as to what are the risk of the ipads like why why is this such a big deal to educate on it well it depends on the iPads, of course, what are the risks. But if we, for example, talk about anabolic steroid steroids, which I said they were unselective uh, androgen receptor modulators, which means they have a lot of systemic effects on, on our body. So we can talk about, you know, cardiovascular risks, liver damage, hormonal imbalances. They have psychological effects, uh, effects to our endocrine system, and they cause joint and tendon damage kidney damage so, uh, so don't so, want to mess with <laughs> no 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 
and many of them are well known and it's a, it's a sad thing that this is this information is not spread especially in, in social media it's no. usually not they are not promoting this i was going to say <laughs> your your friend and your trainer and your coach aren't giving you the uh, side effect warning as to what might happen when you take them you don't yeah. usually get that exactly yeah and they should be aware of the risks yeah, and definitely. I even I even didn't mention about the you know the addiction and dependence side of anabolic steroids as well. <laughs> cause addiction to the users. It's one third, I think, who experience dependency on these substances. And then so, there's there of, is... sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So like, cause it's an inter- usually they are intramuscular injections, so there's also a risk of injections okay. as well. Yeah. Um, I a totally kind of random question out of that is like, do you see in in the finished model, I guess specifically, do you see kids that or younger athletes that use anabolic steroids leading to other addiction issues? Is or is that even I don't even know if it's been looked at as a longer term study. Is it like kind of like a gateway? Oh, anabolic steroid. Yeah gateway as another to other addictions okay um i think well it in addiction research in general these go hand in hand so addiction can shift place okay. so, if, uh, so if you have ad- addiction traits in you or the so or the social environment has you know uh, caused addiction in you like addiction as a disease so yeah. then the addiction can be quite anything yeah I was just, I kind of assumed that that probably went hand in hand, but it just, it's one of those kind of questions that you kind of wonder what, what is it leading towards at later in life? Well, it's, it's an interesting question because, you know, I think doping, uh, it has both behavioral addiction uh, traits and substance addiction traits. (laughs) So you can have the addiction to your body image, you know, like eating disorder, body image disorder, or then you can have the actual addiction to the substance. Yeah. Hmm. The long term use of anabolic steroids also cause mental health issues, anxiety, etc. So maybe through yes. that also this may cause addiction to other substances of abuse at the sa- exactly. same time. Because it's such an environment. But uh let's start focusing on uh the solutions now. We try to define the risks and the the, the issue underlying issue uh, but we really wanted to uh, understand the Finnish model which worked well uh, recreational sports uh, creates pressure on athletes in the pursuit of excellence uh, so that's why uh, we wanted to understand what kind of global efforts that are fighting doping and promoting clean sports our focus is going to be on Finland today, but of course, throughout the discussion, Jess may drop in some ideas. I can bring some perspective from my countries. Uh, but uh, Finland is a country renowned not only for the athletic success, but also the innovative approach into doping prevention. We are really lucky to have you as our guests. Finland has a, a commitment to fair play, also develop multiple different programs to spread awareness in the country and internationally through the influence that it has. And through you, Miko, we've learned about several initiatives from Finland's A-Clinic Foundation, the organization that you're involved in, supporting the well-being of the individuals, but also the prevention 
also the specific focus to doping linky is disseminating the crucial information about the risks and consequences, but also offers a helping hand to athletes to stay clean. So there is a harm reduction uh, aspect, which we'll listen to you, listen to you from you in a while. And there is the clean exercise commitment, which is a collective dedication to clean and fair competition. So we just have three charming initiatives here, and we are really interested to hear more about them. It's a compelling example how a nation can unite to push clean sport. And again, we are just really, really lucky to have you today to hear from firsthand experience from you, Mikko, uh, about the good practices in Finland, about anti-doping. So um, can you, we'll, I'll start with another big question. Can you tell us a little bit about the Finnish doping pro, uh, prevention model? What makes it so successful? And also the initiatives uh, supporting that, the, the ones that you're involved, A-Clinic Foundation, Doping Linky, and the Clean Exercise Commitment. Can you tell us a little bit more about these initiatives? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for all the compl- compliments on Finland, I think, and the, our models. We rarely hear that, maybe. Um, but absolutely, to keep some context, so in Finland, anti-doping activities are divided to two organizations, and we work in cooperation, of course. So our national anti-doping agency called Finnish Center for Integrity in Sports is re- responsible for anti-doping activities in organized sports. So they actively build, uh, participate in building an ethically sustainable sports culture. And it includes fair play and, you know, following the VADA regulations. But then the government has also put resources on the public health aspect, and we are in responsible of that. So a clinic foundation, Stop Linky, and the Clean Exercise Commitment is responsible of the public health approach of in doping. And more about us, we are a team of eight people currently, and four of us is working full time. We have a, a one person working with the health counseling. He's also our team leader. Then we have an education specialist and a research manager. Then me, who is responsible of the clean exercise commitment. And then we have four ambassadors currently, you know, you know, circling around the gyms here in Finland. Uh, maybe about that the, is what, great. Oh, Sorry yeah, for yeah. the interruption. It's it's great. Uh, it's a great resource allocated to these initiatives, and I think that may be one of the success factors of how why this works very well. But how does the national organization and these initiatives collaborate together? How how does the model work? Yes, th- thanks. That may be what I was about to say as well. Um, so. Our anti-doping activities include, for example, the evidence-based information we provide on our website. Then we offer anti-doping in recreational sports education for different professions. Uh, Then we have anti-doping communication, which I mostly think is through the clean exercise commitment. So we have an anti-doping agreement to fitness industry, to municipalities, to individual entrepreneurs like personal trainers and we try to make them communicate uh, clean sports values through that uh, and how our cooperation works with the Finns is I, we have a couple of success stories to share I think but uh, maybe, maybe I share one so we just did the sports pharmacy university education course so and it, it was a success from my opinion because we had managed to address both 
the organized sports and the recreational sports. So FINS is provided information about, you know, prohibited lists, therapeutic use exemption, all, all of that, which are important for pharmacists to know. And then we were more about, you know, providing information about, you know, the encountering of anabolic steroid user or giving the cases of our uh, health counseling, the questions of what we face in our health counseling service. Congratulations guys, on the course. That's awesome. Yay. Are you guys doing, is it something that's going to be done repeatedly or you, how, how is that? What is the longer, long-term plan for the yes, course? We will continue the cooperation next year. So, because okay. this year it, it was, a, there were a lot of students participating. I think we had 120 pharmacy students and then the feedback was mostly positive. At the end of the course we had this like specialist lecture where the students could ask us questions about anything uh, they faced to, uh, they had during the course and we had also two cases for them to solve so i think we will you know continue with this model in the next year as well so this means we have to invite to you again in the next year and tell us <laughs> about do, the scores. It's <laughs> yeah, an official invitation, well. Miko. <laughs> <laughs> Let's figure out the so, schedule. <laughs> yes, it's already booked. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll in tell person, you though. Yes. In person. Yes. <laughs> yes, in person. Yes, I hope yeah. so. You're so, welcome um, here, or then I would love to come yeah, to Florida or Cyprus. <laughs> exactly. Let's see it in the uh, place. Uh, what uh, what's exactly happening in in Finland? So we would love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, these initiatives and uh, the course, I understand many eyes of many different perspectives in in anti doping. Uh, your specialty is in recreational sports, but you can get different perspectives from different initiatives. You have. Uh, ambassadors going around the gym so lots of insights you're collecting I wanted to hear from your experience about common concerns challenges or trends you absorbed uh, observed sorry in the anti-doping scene in Finland yes and I I'm really I mean I hate to say this but uh, mm. body image pressure of young people or adolescents and this leading to the start of doping use uh, too early in their age. I think they shouldn't start it off. Nobody should use anything, of course, but f f if you consider the young people, they shouldn't at least start that early. And this, I think, has been a common concern for us for many years already, but now I think it's more emphasized through social media because of the misinformation they provide there and maybe a bit one-sided perspective of anabolic steroid use. And I think this is a very harmful information for the youth. Uh, yeah. Are are you guys in a, seeing it going younger? Are you guys targeting um, primary schools or secondary schools? And or are you targeting only gyms? Are you getting into the school system? Actually, we did that just this year. It was a very great idea of, of one of our ambassadors. And then the ambassadors together, you know, developed this uh, educational material for a, a mid-school and upper secondary school. So they have been now, you know, going to schools and educating about doping, you know, giving objective information of them because that objective information is not uh, found on social media. So they will bring the object information there. That's wonderful. I love that you guys have 
started to, you saw the trend happening in the gyms and have been able to pivot and be able to integrate into the school systems and target them younger. So hopefully they can have the education and the foundation younger and never get into that when they're in their like 20s or 30s. I hope for that too. And yeah. I think the trend in general in substance use is that uh, the youth to use nowadays drive more of different substances. And I think you see it also in the anabolic steroid use as well. Yeah. And I feel like, as you've said it, and we've all know that um, social media plays such a big role now as they get younger and younger with social media and having accounts and just access to everything. And what they do see is all one-sided. Like I use this and I'm now benching more or running faster or doing this and not any of the side effects or what else those people are going through. So I love that you guys are covering the gamut of recreational sports and ages. Yeah. yeah. And especially so, for the young people, the effects can be more long, more long-term. Like they might have, they might have not any normal hormonal system after they use. Very true. And that's something I, I think most what 15, 19 year olds think they're invincible and it's not going to ever happen to them. So mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I can try it or I can use it. It's not, it's not going to cause any problems. And then down the road, you end up like, oh, wow, that is happened when I was 15. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I know there's another initiative or um, company that you are involved in. And I think it's really interesting. And now hearing the story of your dream of a high school, Miko wanting to do psychology, this is just amazing to see how it's kind of come together. And as we all know, a lot of us have started and it rolls into addiction and mindfulness. So mindfulness is, especially we've seen it done in athletes and athletes start talking about doing mindfulness. We have it in everyday life, trying to help with stress and just all the hecticness of life. And so we're going to dive into a little bit about mindful muscles, which is a European supportive initiative on positive psychology methods to tackle um, the use of performance enhancing drugs among recreational athletes. So can you talk to us a little bit about one, what is mindfulness and give us a bigger picture on mindful muscles? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll start by introducing the program. So, Please. Uh, because it's an Erasmus Sport funded collaboration project. And our project is led by Sheffield Hallam University. And we have partner organizations from seven different countries. So we have the UK, Greece, Estonia, Finland, Portugal, Serbia, and Netherlands. Yes. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. And uh, to talk more about the project the way i see it yeah and we talked about the motives of you you know doping use and they being more like a, for aesthetic reasons so you do training and exercise for aesthetic reasons or uh, to meet some sort of body image ideals and we want to prevent those motives for exercise so the, i think the main idea is for the recreational athlete to recognize his motives for exercise and possibly shift them towards a more sustainable approach okay meaning it would focus on individual strengths like your mental strengths, physical strengths, social strengths. And then maybe this helps you to overcome these body image concerns and other related issues, or at least you're mindful of these issues you have 
and then maybe through that mindfulness you're, you're able to adopt a more healthy and doping free sports and exercise way of life so is this it's like a program that somebody teaches to you. It's something an athlete can access. Like, how would you, how is this being like implemented? Are, are you teaching it to other people? Like, how would an athlete get this education? Well, most of the questions I could say yes, but <laughs> we, but we, what we actually did in the project was that we developed these educational resources, resources for athletes. So there we addressed mindfulness, acceptance, self-compassion and character strengths and made them as psychological exercises. And now now we are implementing these workbooks to clean sport education. And the target is uh, specifically amateur and grassroots sports. Okay. Uh, and yes, so these four workbooks, like I said, they include mindfulness, acceptance, self-compassion, character strength, and all. And then uh, we also developed a relevant um, uh, manual for practitioners so they could you know implement those uh, workbooks to their daily practice as well so then we talk about healthcare, mental health care workers sports supervision sports instructors what else yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so it definitely is a broad it can be applied to a broad situation um just a question do you have a favorable mindfulness technique in the that you use I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a really funny question because I I hope I can say guitar, guitar playing because me okay. for me it's been a you know a meditation exercise for a, since I was a teenager you okay. know just to sit around and play. But and then Love another it. then another Finnish response would be sauna, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if our listeners are interested in learning more about or accessing this program, can you kind of tell them how they could get access to this resource? Because it is available internationally, right? Yes, it's Perfect. available for everyone and free resources for everyone. And it's in our in the project website. It's Mindful Muscles website called mindfulmuscles.org. And you can access the workbooks there and also the practitioner's manual. I'm sorry, I can't say that there's going to be a guitar playing meditation exercise there, but there's at least there's you know, gratitude journal, mindfulness, you know, these audio exercises you can do. Okay. They're really beneficial. I've tried them as well, myself as well. So, you know, it gives you a moment to stop and yeah. about your values and thoughts. I love that it gives you, it sounds like it gives you a lot of tools for your toolbox is like how I like, so that you can, you try them and see which one works for you, which one you like. Um, that sounds really amazing as a resource. So we'll definitely make sure we put that in the show notes so that everyone can access that. So thank, thank you for sharing you. us about this. I know it's a, it's a passion project for sure that you were super excited to be a part of. Absolutely. And if I can add to that, we're just yeah. now, it's the last year of the project. So we're now finishing a policy and practice recommendation report, and we will probably publish it by the early next year. So it involves guidelines for, you know, exercises themselves, then healthcare professionals, sports supervision, anti-doping organizations, mental health and addiction care workers, how they can implement mindful muscles approach to their daily practice. So I think you will get some uh, relevant information from that report as well. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Mm. Yeah, I looked into the uh, project resources as a healthcare professional. 
And I find it very practical, very easy, very down-to-earth suggestions. It's not rocket science. So congratulations on that project. And I agree with Jess. Your background, uh, like you started from psychology and now you're an anti-doping expert. You merged these two in such an impactful project. So uh, congratulations to you for that. And like I said, pure luck. (laughs) I mean, we have a saying that uh, success is a uh, marriage of luck, but being prepared. So I think you were Mm. also prepared. And then you oh, had I the luck. That. So let's let's not miss that part. You you've been prepared. You've taken all these steps. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. We, <laughs> we really get interesting insights from the Finnish model. Then we heard about the mindful muscles. We were always in the side of the healthcare professional when we were having this discussion. But now I would like to pivot the discussion into the dialogues with the athletes. So let's. Of course, athletes have been in the center of all of our conversation for now. But now let's uh, try to get in the depth of having a dialogue, having a conversation with the recreational athletes, giving them mm-hmm. the right messages, understanding their motives a little bit. So um, how can we start the dialogue? How can we educate recreational athletes? Is it the education you have been providing is about steroid education or about the other substances that are abused? We discussed the connection between the other, other substances. So really how, how the dialogue is started with the athletes, with the recreational athletes? Yes. Okay. If we want to start, start a dialogue through education, uh, we have a specific structure for our educational events. So we first start with a short introduction, you know, uh, from a mental health and addiction perspective and then maybe you know address also the performance stresses given by our society and then you know we address also all these psychological social and biological factors that can lead to mental health problems or addictive behaviors we discuss exercise addiction and how it emerges in how it can how could it emerge for example it can be exercise can be a problem of its own or it can reflect through different body image or eating disorders uh, and also we address like i said we address the doping use that it can have both aspects of this addiction like substance use addiction or behavioral addiction uh, and after after we kind of establish this basis of, for our educational event so we're outside of uh, elite sports we proceed to the doping use in recreational sports so then we discuss the prevalence most common doping substances used motives for their use adverse effects and then uh, what i said we offer objective information evidence-based information on this and we even classify like the doping substances by their motives of use for example muscle growth reducing adverse effects, weight loss, cognitive enhancement. Uh, and then after we, you know, provided this information for them, we start the, you know, at least we discuss all the, throughout the education, but this, then we have the actual discussion section where we, you know, market our health counseling service, uh, raise awareness about that. And then we, together, we discuss how we, how can we build a safe, supportive, doping-free exercise environment. That's great. That's very, very comprehensive approach, uh, step by step, systematic. 
Um, you told me there is going to be a report published about mindful muscles, but um, generally also keeping it anonymous. Uh, any, any any results that you observed your observed yourself from the initiatives like the education projects? Have you seen any uh, firsthand impact from the athletes you work with or maybe more uh, systematic high level uh, result from your initiatives? Well, of course, because we're working with grant money, we need to, you know, gather data from our educational level. So we gather feedback from all of our target groups. So we gather feedback from mid-school, upper-secondary school, private fitness industry, sports industry, healthcare professionals, every every those uh, uh, target groups that we educate. And in general, feedback is very positive and gives new, and especially gives new information for the students exercises professionals so this new new information what we are able to give it's already already a result in itself and we if we go in detail we you know measure it with like liquor scale questions <laughs> such as my knowledge about doping in recreational sport has increased <laughs> or i can use what i have learned in my work or studies and usually we get average score of four or more in our education okay. programs. Co- congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's a really, really, really good result. And uh, we talked about um, the negative influence. Like the first thing you said was like, where do they access to these substances from other athletes? So if this influence is this strong, then can we also look at this from a different angle? How can recreational athletes play a a role in promoting the culture of clean and fair sports, not only for themselves, but being a role model in their communities? Great question. I love that question. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the reason, yeah, I love that question because because for a long time, I have thought that the values of fair play should reflect like, reflect into recreational sports as well, or you know the exercise environment, all the exercise exercise environment we're participating in. So what does that mean? Like what's fairness, ethics, respect, and uh, fellowship? What what's what it is, is it in the exercise context? But we are of course not competing, so I think we need a different approach for that. And in this matter, I think we should try our best that the exercise gives positive experiences for everyone and supports healthy behavior. And this is where recreational athletes come to the role. And I think recreational athletes can be a role model on this matter. And maybe to put it more concretely, I think uh, uh, recreational athletes can, you know, help individuals meet their next important important goal for personal growth or mental health balance uh, help individuals go outside of their comfort zone and you know as a role model helping creating that uh, safe space to train these things and and I think exercise environment should always be a safe space to train these things and you know develop your resilience and hopefully it will also transfer to other parts of your life as well I agree. I mean, I can give a personal example as a recreational upbeat. Uh, for example, I started going to the gym years ago to become fit, but then I realized the further benefits of exercising on my mental mm-hmm. health, my general well-being, also socializing in an environment. 
So when you realize this kind of benefits that the sports bring to me, sometimes even like I don't have a fitness goal, but I just go because of the other benefits. I used to keep gym because I was not feeling good, but now I'm uh, personally going to that gym, like uh, purposefully, sorry, to the gym to feel better because it's a bad day. So if you try to... um share this uh, perspective to people around you. I think people would try to see the benefits of exercise from a different angle. So they wouldn't maybe, they would have less pressure on themselves to look mm-hmm. better, look fit, etc. So that's a very, very important message. Thank you, you know, for that. I like the motives you said, because aren't they more sustainable? Yeah. Motives you, you just stated. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They are. They are. It's what people want, like long term for their health. Like that's like everything you described. You want community, you want connection, you want health, you want mental health, you resilience, everything. And I feel for so many years, and even I know as a kid, like everybody was like, oh, you go to the gym to lose weight. Like you go to the gym to look good. And it's like, there's so much more to it. And when I think you get past that dialogue of like, I have to go to the gym to lose weight or to be able to eat dessert tonight or whatever that is that society has told us now Mm. becomes so much more impactful and you feel so much more grateful for your body, I guess, as to what it can do and all the benefits that you're receiving that you're like, oh, it changes your mindset, I think, in such a positive way. Yeah, I've experienced similar thing. You know, it gives me more ways to function, you know. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. So we've talked about the athlete. We've talked about the amazing programs that you're involved in and the initiatives. Um, One thing that I think we need to also pivot and look at is educating the healthcare provider. And that may be the trainer, the pharmacist, the physician, the PT, the athletic trainer, whoever's involved in even coaches that are involved in the care or working with athletes. And as a healthcare provider, we have the primary responsibility to safeguard, obviously, the health and well-being of our patient athletes. And for most of us, I know when I was in pharmacy school in the United States, we received little to very no education on anti-doping, clean sport. And I mean, I haven't gone through like a physical therapist program. They may receive more, slightly more um, physicians, I believe are in the same boat that they receive very little. Um, And so I think it's a very sensitive topic and something that our healthcare system is missing. And so can you talk a little bit about how, why it's important that we as healthcare providers understand more, have more education on anti-doping. Yeah, absolutely. Because I share your, you know, uh, perspective on that the healthcare professional don't get uh, education on anti-doping or they get very little. But uh, so you could actually benefit from any kind of information, at least, you know, you get a, you know, grasp of the, whole over you what means anti-doping what doping means mm-hmm. but this can you can also look from the perspective of uh, organized sports or uh, recreational sports so for example in the healthcare there will be events where an at- athlete is under doping control and the healthcare professional should be aware of the prohibited list and the medicines that are included in this list so medicines that 
include substances classified as doping agents okay. by WADA. And also some healthcare professional might be might need to give guidance about the therapeutic use exemption protocol or at least have a uh, you know learn how to guide to NATO's support services. Now, uh, if we talk about recreational sports, uh, anabolic steroids users, they will face it in the healthcare, in the pharmacy. I've heard from my many colleagues that the steroid users come to pharmacy to seek help for maybe to buy needles or just, you know, talk about use. So in the case of anabolic steroid users, pharmacists should have basic knowledge on how to seek help for the cessation of uh, use and also maybe develop some harm reduction strategies in their own pharmacies, for maybe considering needle exchange. Yeah. Uh, and okay. at least, you know, instruct the doping user to where to seek help. Like, for yeah. example, we instruct that you should at least, you know, instruct to our health counseling service so they can, you know, ask questions if they have anything in mind. Yeah, no, I love that approach. I mean, I know I work in a community pharmacy, so we get the questions. They're, they come to us, like, obviously being super accessible. I get the questions of, like, can I take this? Can I take this? What about this? And, like, if I had no idea, I mean, some of the athletes I know because of being involved in sports and pharmacy, I know they're drug tested. And I'm like, wait a second. No, you can't take that. But other ones, some of them, I don't think know to say something like, Hey, I'm a drug tested athlete. Can I take this or bring it up? Their physicians like take this medicine. And some of them don't understand like what's on the banned substance list. So, and it's yeah. not, you know, medicines, it's also nutritional supplements you should be aware of. And where do they, whether they ordered nutritional supplements, are they safe to use? I think we could do a whole podcast on supplement safety. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you're a healthcare provider and you have an athlete that you believe may be going down the path of abuse or misusing or considering it, how do you recommend having that conversation or starting the conversation of concern and giving them direction or guidance of where they may be able to get a resource? Yes. And you know, this Obviously question it depends I, on the country. <laughs> yeah, but but because this question I received from you beforehand, and I really would like to address this really good resource for every healthcare okay. professional yeah. uh, or pharmacist. And it's uh, developed by Sydney North Health Network. So they developed this kind of GP quick reference guide to harm minimization, anabolic androgenic steroids, and other performance and image enhancing drugs. And I think all of us professionals should look in detail to that because it has actual questions of starting the conversation, like motiv motivation, motivational interview tips. And I have one listed here. It's, you know, do you use or take anything to help with your workout or muscle gain? And then okay. if you want to go more specific, can you tell me more about supplements you are using, including any use of pills, powders, injectables? So this might be a way that the user actually admits of using. Okay. I think and, that's, and I feel like that's a very um, non-confrontational way of saying, I suspect you're using, and obviously you're going to get a wall put up and they're not going to, to trust you to move forward. But I think have starting that discussion in a very, like you said, motivational and kind of building a rapport with them is mm -hmm. going to be more impactful than just coming out and saying, Hey, I'm concerned about your steroid use. 
Yes, and then the healthcare professional can respond that I'm, you know, just interested to see if I need to be aware of something when I do health counseling or, you know, focus on your health-related issues. Yeah. So and as just, oh, just to add, because yeah. uh, there's a uh, because there's then other interview techniques in the same guide. For okay. If, for if they admit of using, there's you know, then you might want more about the information about the history of use so you could ask about the age of initiation route of administration reason why they're using how long has it been that they're using what kind of substances all that it's all listed in this yeah we'll definitely put the link in the notes so that people have access to it and can look through it i think that's super impactful yeah um is there a way that healthcare professionals can participate or contribute to like a doping free environment in their communities? How would, if I'm a healthcare professional and I do believe in clean sport and want to promote it, how do I go about doing that? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously I, I know I've talked to, asked to talk to schools and talk to the kids like the sports teams are there any other ways that you've seen healthcare professionals be involved in their communities yeah maybe i have a broader answer for okay this. yeah go or, for it they like the public health aspect but i think mm-hmm. as professionals or recreational athletes or whoever i think we should just engage you know actively in promoting a more ethically sustainable environment what we can do and for example, our National Olympic Committee has a sustainability program and it addresses, uh, you know, good governance, safe space and safe environment, equality, equality and equal opportunity, environment and climate, anti-doping and fair play. So, you know, to promote all these activities so everyone would feel that they're exercising a safe environment. Yeah, I love that. I, I think maybe... If you're like a um, healthcare professional and you're not quite sure, could you start with even also maybe working on like the dialogue that we had on changing the narrative of why health and exercise is beneficial in a broader sense of just not losing weight? Exactly. So concretely speaking, you could, you know, do an anti-doping campaign in your (laughs) community, you know, to, you know, promote those values. Yeah. But it's, you know, all, I think it all centers to this uh, sustainable, uh, sustainable exercise, ethically sustainable exercise. Do you see um, a lot of, or in Finland or anywhere, have you seen a lot of healthcare professionals using social media to promote clean sport or Mm -hmm. sustainable exercise? Have you seen, have you seen it spread that way where people are on social media promoting it? Yes, I've seen. Okay. Well, I mean, even addiction prevention. We we have in our clinic. We had a, a doctor who was who's working with addiction prevention. So he he's providing a lot of you know information, like which is easily access, easily okay. understandable by the youth. So for, perfect for substance prevention, and he has also had you know content related to doping. <laughs> so you shouldn't start using and they are actually really funny what what he does 
So <laughs> I'll have to check it out because yeah. I've, I've, we've talked about social media being such a big impact. So I was just thinking that maybe that's a way if somebody has a platform and wants to share it, you could find interesting ways or ways to connect over social media too and spread. I think I think that's a great idea. And then you should should specifically target the youth, you know, okay. that kind of content that the youth likes to watch. You're probably not going to see me making TikTok videos. Sorry. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> uh, make it, making it fun is is important, I think, because it sometimes is. this is observed as regulation rule. It's a strict uh, framework. So making it fun uh, beyond just definitions or rules, I think this can help people to uh, connect with them uh, a little bit better to to i don't know embody the the, the clean sports aspect and just do exercise in a sustainable way yeah you know it can be anything you know to just promote the joy of exercise or on the positive yeah, experience exactly what we, exactly. we what we discussed today you know the friendship you have through exercise or the connecting to nature whatever i think it can be interesting content it just needs to be fast paced exactly. that the youth actually watch it correct <laughs> So, uh, Miko, we are now getting at the towards the end of our uh, podcast show, but we want the, uh, our audience to get to know you a little bit personally because I think there are, I mean, you explained your story, but there are uh, Miko beyond an anti-doping expert, and we wanted to get a little bit more about that. And you're a living testament to clean sports yourself as an athlete. So, oh, uh, <laughs> yes, okay. I really would like to learn more about your uh, sportive activities. But before jumping into that question, just to wrap up the overall anti-doping discussion, any favorite story or achievement from your anti-doping career that you would like to share with our listeners? Yes, and thanks. I'm very flattered that you call me an athlete. It's the second time <laughs> where it's really hard to do that. You are. You are. You are. <laughs> Everyone is an athlete, actually, in this. As a, yeah. Jess is a weightlifter. I'm a kite surfer. You're a climber. Oops, I gave a, um, <laughs> an accidentally a hint. But Spoiler. anyway, we'll get into that. Spoiler. Okay, but yeah, let's go to the uh, my favorite story. Because... Uh, I maybe can't name one favorite story, but our, what I share with our organization is that our basic value is, you know, encountering people and open communication with people. And this is what I value strongly. It doesn't have to be in the field of uh, anti-doping. It can, you know, in my everyday life. And I appreciate, appreciate the little effects I have in my, I have in people in my everyday life. And for example, it can be through coaching, my professional work, or just me as a friend. And uh, concrete uh, events would be, you know, if I see someone finding joy from exercise or tries an exercise they've never tried it before and are successful on that, that makes me genuinely really happy. Uh, or if I manage to create a safe space, I'm, I'm considered as a reliable person then and it leads to somebody opening up to me and maybe talking about their concern and and they find my listening helpful that's when I also feel like I'm succeeding but 
of course, I have, because I'm doing anti-doping work, I've had cases where somebody was concerned about anti-doping rule violation. I could, you know, calm, calm him down. And that no, there's no concern. It's been years ago. And don't, don't, it doesn't matter. And somebody also reached out to me that they started to use, and I think I managed to prevent that as well. So, of course. That's great. I, I think you said, you said you wanted to touch people's life through what mm. you do and this is another way to say it so i think you you achieved your goals and that must be a really good feeling professionally but mm. outside of your professional life what activities do you enjoy we know and i already gave a spoiler but can you tell <laughs> us a little bit more about that yeah i maybe mentioned in the start of the podcast as well. <laughs> that's I'm not true sure, you but did. I'm, you but did. I'm a, yes i'm a really enthusiastic rock climber and I think it's my longest relationship I've had in anything <laughs> so, over over ten years now, and and, and I, I enjoy all kinds of climbing, bouldering, rope climbing, and now I even did my first mountaineering trip this year to Nepal, and that sure was uh, the highlight of my year. Oh my gracious! Ascend this uh, six thousand one hundred meter mountain called Lopuche East, so. And the whole journey, the three-week journey, it was really memorable did, experience. Did you train for it? How long was the training, or like you have to be acclimated for the height? Or uh... yeah, the acclimatation happens uh, through yeah. about the three weeks. So we gradually increase the uh, elevation, and then mm-hmm. I think the last day when we had the ascent day, it was thousand meters of elevation. So we stayed at around three. Uh, 5,300 meters but yeah I trained for it the whole year but it was mm-hmm. more because I wanted to train we had the outdoor cross training firm I'm working with they they had this project and then I participated in the uh, training program and trained for one year for that wow was it and how physically or more mentally challenging do you think both <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a te- test piece for me because uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, for me, I, I saw that I have grown a lot. Uh, so I, I, of course, it was physically and mentally uh, strenuous, but but I still had mm-hmm. some uh, some something in store, even if it would you know continue further up. I had <laughs> so that was maybe beautiful. And I learned from it. That's amazing. And how come you got involved in climbing in the first place? <laughs> That's a good question. I uh, I tried a variety of sports when I was young. Mm-hmm. I never kind. Of, I was more like a gamer, and I just tried to find some sort of exercise I would like to try. So I I tried taekwondo, capoeira. I did jogging. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I studied physical therapy, they established the first bouldering gym in this region of Finland, in Eastern Finland, called Lappeenranta. And I went for the opening day. And after that, I've been training three times a week. Oh, wow. So it's just about, you know, finding your own own sport. Yeah. That's great. Love it. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. So on your, have you ever tried speed climbing? I see that that's in the, isn't that in the Olympics? The yes. speed, have you tried it? And it looks impossible. It, it's, it's a whole different sport. You know, it's like a hundred meters of climbing that's, you know. It, in like two it, it seconds. Requires, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
but it's like I've tried I've tried the actual route because it's all the time it's the same route there oh it is okay uh, but nowhere near even <laughs> less than 10 seconds no 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 I think I think the first try was around minutes or something so. oh <laughs> so you're not making a gold medal for that no way, no. I will of course watch the Olympics it's oh my interesting. god I, when I watched that for the first time, I was like, it looks like Spider-Man, <laughs> like yeah, climbing up. Yeah. It's like, Phew. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's, it's crazy. I don't know how that's an incredible sport. It, climbing in general, I think takes so much talent and finesse and strength that it's, it's just one of those beautiful sports to watch. Yeah. I'm glad it made yeah. it to the Olympics and you know, super I'm, cool. I'm looking forward to watch the, watch the games again. <laughs> Um, so with Paris, as we just kind of alluded to, just around the corner, and obviously there will be stories, there'll be icons, there'll be names that we'll never forget. Um, how do you think that like anti-doping and the the narrative of doping with the Olympics being here, do you think that will help promote it even in recreational athletes? What changes do you anticipate because of the Olympics being more high, pro always high profile, but I feel like more high profile this year. Well, I hope, I sure hope for it, that, that recreational sports gets more, you know, uh, highlight as well but yeah because and even what i'm looking at the trends now i think this public health focus what we have discussed today as well i think it has you know increased more you know in healthcare in, in sports in recreational sports as well so but i hope that it, it will also have room in the paris games like talk about the doping public health aspect of doping and Hopefully, in the future, this could lead to you know better healthcare services or uh, support services for people who use doping and who might suffer simultaneously from mental health and addiction problems. So I hope there would be room for that. As well. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Is there any way for our listeners, if they wanted to stay up to date on developments or learn more about clean sport, can they? How can they contribute? How can they be involved or find out more about it? Yes, at least start by looking, you know, educational opportunities that your country provides or the international opportunities you have. For okay. example, uh, I think Neil Han, uh, or have we all graduated from the drugs in sport course? Not Han's yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're I'm on it. Okay, good job, good yeah. job. So, so international Olympics committees courses, yeah, the drugs in sports course, sports pharmacy course, and if your university offers any those kind of courses, also I always uh, emphasize networking, the importance of networking, and we have a couple of networks everyone can join. So, I think international sports pharmacy network is for everyone uh, to join, and then this uh, network called Human Enhancement Drugs Network. It's for uh, other healthcare professionals as well. So look into that if you want. Beautiful. I love that. I think there's so much out there and there's so much opportunity and growth, especially as you said, in the public health aspect of clean sport and addiction. And I think thankfully the dialogue is starting to change and it's starting to become more okay for people to talk about this and which I love so that it breaks some of that stigma around asking for help and um, what's going on and making that dialogue a little easier to happen with a little bit less fear behind it. 
Yeah. So thank you for all your work that you have done and continue to do and being a safe space for so many athletes and so many people. Thanks Thank to you, you Nicole. <laughs> we'll, we'll continue following uh, your initiatives, your su- successes. We are glad that we made this connection. And through this podcast, through this show, uh, more and more people are going to get to know healthcare professional athletes, other professions in the sports arena. So we really hope that we are able to bring this message to them. And uh, let's wrap up our podcast with three quick fire questions. This is new right. to us as well. <laughs> you like play. You like to play. We love to play too. So let's finish. New, ga- new games. Let's, new games. Let's finish, yeah. let's finish with a game. Uh, so okay. you you climbed all the way to Himalayas. If you ever go there again, which three pro athletes would be your companions climbing with you? <laughs> oh, so this is a role, role model question. Pick <laughs> anyone. No, I mean, uh, think about well, the challenges I... you faced. Who could make it more fun or easy for you? Well, I've... I've had, uh, I don't have many sports idols, but I have one as a youth. So it was a Formula One driver, our own Finnish, Mikko Hakkinen. Mm, so I would yeah. bring, him, bring him to the Himalayas if he would <laughs> like to join. And then, of course, we have... Uh, He's a like, hero. Like we already addressed, we have also athletes here. So I would bring uh, Nilhan Usman and just take me to the Himalayas as well. Challenge accepted. Challenge. Let's, <laughs> yes, go. let's go. <laughs> let's go. We have a year. Beautiful. I have okay, a year to start three. training. One year training. <laughs> you know, okay. I live at sea level and we have no mountains around us, right? <laughs> yeah. You have walking. such That's good a... roads to, you know, do a road trip. So drive to Colorado and enjoy your mountains. I'm, I'm, I love it. I envy it. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so next question would be if you could live in the universe of any fictional character or book, movie, or TV show, what would it be? Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> answer anything else but Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> speed as is, like you said, speed climbing looks like Spider-Man, but even if I did bouldering rope climbing, I really would like to be spider-man so the marvel universe would be the answer i would say if you had if you're spider-man you would never fall you could just shoot your spider web and catch yourself and go right back up (laughs) i think technology now allows that like there is some adhesive products that they make costumes out of it i'm not sure if you would be safe enough to climb on a i don't know skyscraper but I think there is some technology around that. Look look into that. You may create your own Marvel universe in Finland. Nice I'll tell you. <laughs> skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> but Finland has its own uh, winter season and it just got dark uh, while we have been talking. It's getting darker yes, here yes. too, but <laughs> I've seen that it has been dark for a while. How do you make the most out of the long winter season in Finland? Any favorite winter activities or traditions that we can learn more about Finland? Mm, well, yeah, I'm not a traditional Finland Finnish Finnish man. I think many of us start, you know, skiing and snowboarding when they're mm. young. They have the mm-hmm. possibility, but I started to snowboard just when in my thirties. So that's mm-hmm. actually what I'm exploring now, and hopefully make it as a routine in my life uh, during this winter as well. So. 
snowboarding I love to do alongside with the climbing, of course. But now it's indoor climbing mostly. And yeah. but as you might as you might know, Finns also love sauna, like I said yeah. before. And it's easy, easy to combine sauna with uh, winter swimming. So I do winter swimming as well. Wow. Actually, wait, I, is, wait, wait. Yeah. You swim in the winter? Indoors, yeah. right? Yeah. Or in the or frozen ponds? Frozen ponds, you know. <laughs> you, what? You, you drill a hole and then you can go to the... the it's a Wim Hof challenge. There. Yeah, and some people do it even without the sauna. And they, I think they're crazy, but... You know, maybe it builds yeah. character. You know. It builds character. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, my I, gracious! For sauna, I went oh, before this podcast as well because I I was thinking that it might control my stage fright as well. You know, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here comes the meditation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sounds good. Oh I mean, everyone everyone has their own tradition. It looks you know, it sounds really fun. We have. Finnish sauna as well here like it's uh, oh. sometimes it's too challenging for me but I know that it's very very good for for health unless you have any specific condition but uh, these these questions are really really interesting to get to know you a little bit more I really look forward to continuing our our discussion but thank you very much for explaining all of your work your contributions but also we saw the, the the friend Miko a little bit closer so this was a really 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 good podcast yeah show for us likewise Nilhan just thanks for having me and you know also keep up with the good work you are doing in the field of sports pharmacy and other fields as well thank you it's been truly a pleasure and fun to meet with you Miko and we are absolutely honored for you to to have been our very first guest on the Performance Prescription Lab podcast. So thank you. We'll send you a big trophy. Just imagine us giving you a trophy for our first podcast guest. I got it. (laughs) And I'm honored. Fresh water. Fresh water. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. I am confident that our listeners have entered into a new world and have been moved um, by our your stories, your education, how you've advocated, and all the different lessons we can learn and the different resources you provided um, for athletes and healthcare providers. So thank you so much for all your insight and your time. Thank you. Thanks, Miko. We are we are finishing this season on a high with our first guest. We are wrapping our first season, actually our uh, show performance prescription lab podcast uh, throughout our first season uh, we published 11 episodes this is going to be the 11th and we covered topics ranging from recovery to popular ergogenics such as creatine and uh, we just wanted to uh, thank our listeners for being on the journey with us in our evidence-based science journey giving them tools and opportunities to increase their performance and athletic health. And we are really grateful for our international audience. We can see which countries are listening and we know we have someone from Finland. (laughs) And uh, oops, no, no, no finger pointing, but we have, we have an audience from Finland and we really appreciate for your support as well. Uh, We are doing this, uh, for um, giving, p- helping people to access the evidence-based information. And we really appreciate having an international audience 
coming from all different countries. So thanks to all of our supporters and listeners. And we are already getting ready for the next season with the new topics, exciting guests for our second season. And again, thanks to our listeners, supporters for trusting us, becoming our companions in our podcast journey. So let's wrap up just with our traditional outro. <laughs> As sport pharmacists, our mission is to provide accurate and evidence-based information to optimize your health and performance. When it comes to your health and well-being choices, consult your physician or pharmacist, prioritize safety, and always make informed decisions. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to sharing more valuable, scientific, and actionable insight in our next season. See you next season. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Yay. you. Good night.